Hola, this is Enrique Morones, a buen hombre, magnificent mujer, with another podcast that we have every Tuesday, and as we do every Tuesday, our producer is Sarah Bella. She does a terrific job, and she's the one that keeps these programs going. And they're available in all the regular places you see your podcast, including buenhombre.org and magnificentmujer.org. And today we have another incredible buen hombre, Jesus Nebot. He's a filmmaker, he's an activist, he's a speaker, he's a wonderful humanitarian, and he's one of the newest members, actually the newest member, on the board of Gente Unida. And we're delighted to have you on today. Jesus, como estas? Bienvenido. Gracias, Enrique. Estoy muy bien. I'm doing great. And I'm just very honored to be uh, interviewed by you. And, and you said wonderful things about me, and I appreciate that. And uh, it is an honor to be with you and to also acknowledge you for your activism, uh, for being, for me, a wonderful role model as a humanitarian as well. Well, thank you very much, Jesus. And uh, I know some of the things I'm going to ask you, I already know, but we want the public to know. And uh, I've been very impressed with your work. That, uh, that, that film, uh, I don't know if it was your last documentary, but the documentary that I saw, which was fantastic about American Nightmare, I can't get that out of my mind. And that's something about these films. When you have that film or that photo or that song that stays in your mind and really impacts you, you have that magic, you have that magic skill. So on my podcast, and before I had the podcast, I've had radio shows and all that type of thing. And I always begin by asking the person that I'm interviewing to introduce themselves. So Jesus, when somebody says, who is Jesus? What do you tell them? And I'm talking about Jesus here, not the other Jesus. <laughs> well, I have to tell you the other Jesus is, uh, or Jesus is great inspiration to me. So I'm honored to have his name and his name definitely um, kind of uh, brings to me the opportunity to be reminded of what Jesus and his message was all about. And to that end, uh, I you know, look at myself as a humanitarian like yourself uh, that is um, doing his best to anchor this energy of unconditional love to be um, as loving as possible to myself and to others and to I do my best to leave that legacy behind me. In other words, uh, whether it's speaking or whether it is making a film or uh, any other work that I could do, even with my activism, love is truly the energy that is um, the energy that that, that is giving me uh, the inspiration to get into action. Uh, I'm not doing my work because I'm opposing anybody, because I'm against anything. I'm doing my work because I am for loving. I'm for uh, unconditional love as the energy that can heal us all, that can bring us together, and that can eventually uh, make this world a better place, if you will. And you're, you're doing it by example. You're doing it by, by doing the walking the talk. And I, and I applaud that. But give us a little, a little bit more background. I know you're from Spain. Tell us, so you're from Spain, a little bit of your family background and, and how you made it to the United States. Yeah, so I, I was born in Spain. I was raised in Spain. And uh, from an early 
you know, age, I had an experience that kind of shaped my life and perhaps can experience, ex explain why I'm here. And maybe I can share this little anecdote. Uh, it happened to me when I was six years old and I was in Spain. It was Christmas time and um, we were having dinner. My, my parents, my, my siblings and I, I had a younger brother and a younger sister. And then uh, about... Uh, midnight just before midnight my parents decided to go to the midnight mass which was tradition in spain and it still is tradition in some countries uh, on christmas eve and they left me alone i had a little bit of a cold but um prior to that something happened during this dinner this christmas dinner that was very was very special my my father told me jesus close your eyes and open your hand so I did. And then I noticed he left some paper and then he said, open your eyes. And when I did, I noticed that he had left me in my hand a bill, a bill of, uh, well, 10 pesetas, you know, it doesn't really matter. It was the national coin, but imagine a bill of about $10. And I was like, wow, because it was the first time that, you know, I had money that was mine. And he said, Jesus, this Christmas, I'm not gonna give you a toy this Christmas. I'm gonna give you this money because I want you to buy for yourself whatever you want. And it felt really, really special that he did that because like I said, it was the first time I had that power and that money and all that. So as I was saying uh, before, my parents, after the dinner, they left and they, uh, they left me behind. And then somebody knocked on the door. And actually I thought it was, um, maybe them, that they forgot the key or something. So I went to open the door and I saw this, this lady and um, she, she looked quite different. She, she was dark skinned. Uh, she had a very colorful dress, but kind of torn apart. And what really struck me is that she um, was breastfeeding a baby and then she had another child in her other hand. And, and this lady said, um, can I talk to your dad? And I said, no, no, my, my dad is not here. And she said, well, can I talk to your mom? And I said, no, no, they're, they're both gone. They went with my brother and sister. They, they went to church. And she said, oh. And then she proceeded to leave. But, but I was so curious, right? Six years old. I see this woman, I don't know, asking about my family. So when she was leaving, um, I told, hey, lady, lady. And she turned around and I said, but what is it you want? And she told me, you know, I'm, I'm a gypsy woman and I just moved here as an immigrant very recently. And, and this night we're, we're having some trouble and I am just going through the neighborhood asking for some charity and see if I can have some milk to, to feed my child. And, and I said, I can help. And she said, you can? I said, yeah, of course. So I reached down my pocket and I got that bill that my father gave to me and I gave it to her. And she said, oh, no, 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 you can't. And I said, oh, yes, I can. It's my money. I was so proud. And in that moment, she got teared eyes. She said, oh, my God, this means so much to me. Thank you, thank you. I'm going to be able to, to buy some goodies for my children. And, and this is going to make our Christmas so special. Oh, my goodness, thank you. You're so, such a nice kid. And, and she left. And in that moment, Enrique, I got to tell you, in that moment, for me, it was a discovery of this thing that we hear that giving and receiving is one and the same. 
In other words, I could not imagine that I would have ever received, I would have ever been able to buy an ice cream or buy a toy or anything that would have given me more joy than the joy that I experienced in that simple moment helping that lady. And that's, that stayed with me. Then my parents came and I told them, my father says, oh, you're not supposed to open the door to it. And I said, okay, okay, I understand. I thought it was you, but, but I explained that my parents uh, were like, okay. And I, I was very curious. And I, I told my parents, well, why is this lady you know, asking for money? Is that so strange? And you know, at that time I had this conversation kind of the first time in my lifetime with my parents, where they explained to me, you know, there are people that are immigrants and there are people that do not have enough and there are people that are struggling and you know, they need some, some help. And, and you know, I think that I became an activist in that moment because from that moment on, I really, really thought that there was so much injustice. Why is it that I'm a child and I have a family and I can, you know, have enough for food and, and I see this poor lady with these two kids that are, so it was a, an awakening for me. But for me, what's most important about this experience is not that I was a special kid, of course I was not, is the fact that I honestly believe that you and I are humanitarians because we understand that we need to move beyond our limited beliefs of one another. Um, and what I see right now happening in our country, what I see right now happening in the US is this extreme polarization. And definitely when it comes to immigrants, as you very well know, especially with the current administration, this demonizing of undocumented immigrants or asylum seekers. And um, I am very much aware that if we would go back to the time that we were children, when we were five or six years old, if we would encounter this experience that I encountered, everyone in this country, including Trump, probably would have actually answered the same way. Because at that time, guess what? We are open, we, 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 we want to learn, we, we are compassionate, we are guided by love because that's what we know. What we don't have is a bunch of ideas and beliefs. What we don't have is the indoctrination that comes from political parties and ideologies and sometimes schools or whatnot that are giving us this limited perspective by which we start believing that we are separate from one another. And therefore, our compassion and our empathy is gone. So that experience kind of shaped me in my life. And um, later on, just to continue with who I am and how I came here, um, actually, I had to migrate myself. I had to go to Northern, I had to go to, to France. Um, and the reason is that although my family was okay, um, you know, um, Spain was still pretty much a relatively poor country. And it was uh, common for us Spaniards to go north, to go to France, to Germany, to, to, to make some money. And so I went to France and I, as a teenage, I worked in France illegally. I was an illegal immigrant, if you will. And I worked, um, I worked picking up fruit. I worked in the fields from sunshine, <clears throat> sunrise to sunset. So I had that experience. And, um, and then I came home and the reason I actually went there is because I wanted to um, have more money so that I could pay for my higher education. At the time, I had this dream that I wanted to be um, ambassador and work for world peace. You know, I was you know, still very much focused on how can I be an activist and maybe I can work for United Nations and work on bringing nations together and whatnot. And so um, coincidentally, when I came back to Spain and I wanted to pursue my university, something happened, which is that I also 
declared myself a conscious objector or a conscientious objector, meaning at the time in Spain to do the military service was mandatory. So I was told that for me to become an ambassador and work for Spain, uh, I had to first do the military service. For me, that didn't make sense, Enrique, because you know here I am wanting to be work for world peace. And I'm told that I have to do the military service and prepare myself for war and, you know, learn how to, you know, bear arms and whatnot. So uh, at that time, I said, no, I'm not going to do the military service. And like other youth, uh, I had to face the consequences of that decision. Thank God the time, the, the law was changing at the time. So I was able to avoid jail, but I could not pursue my education as I envisioned to work uh, my public education as I envisioned to work internationally. And that's how I looked into the arts to make a difference. And, and that's how we ended up uh, eventually embracing uh, acting and directing and filmmaking. And uh, how I came with this decision, and I'll share this anecdote and then you know we can go back to your questions, but I think it's something that is very informative because you asked me about Jesus. And how I decided to become a filmmaker really is because um, I, at the time, when I came back from France working as an undocumented immigrant, I came to Spain, at the time I was very interested in spirituality. And I looked at all spiritual paths, and I looked at all spiritual masters, you know, Hamid, uh, Jesus, of course, Buddha, Krishna, you name it. And I realized that all of them had a powerful message was, was this message of love. But what I also realized is that all of them were storytellers. All of them. They all told stories to convey this wisdom within each one of us so that we could be awakened to this love for ourselves and for others, in essence. And so I said, you know, my goodness, if Jesus would be nowadays alive, he would be a filmmaker because there is no more powerful way to tell a story than through film. And so I didn't have anybody in my family that was in this industry. I didn't know anybody, but I was truthfully inspired uh, by Jesus to become a storyteller and use my storytelling as a vehicle to make films like American Nightmare that you were talking about that eventually brought me to the United States. Well, that's quite a story. And, and I can envision one of the things about storytelling, because uh, I, do, I do that as well, is when you were talking about the woman knocking on your door, you could see her. You know, I could see that woman. She has the small child, another small child clinging to her. And you're opening the door as a child. And, you know, what's going on? And she's, she was looking for an adult because she was looking for help. And you guys connected. You guys connected. And that's the power of one. The power of one where one person or one moment can make a huge difference, a huge difference. And that power of one could be for good, like it was in your situation and it continues to be, or it could be for bad. And we've seen people go in that direction as well. But that's a very, very powerful story. And then the fact that you, like most people, actually everybody in the world, uh, has immigration in their background. You know, our, our families, you know, we have indigenous blood, we have blood from uh, other, other places, but we all have indigenous blood. And we also have people in our background that worked in the fields, like you went to France, people working in the fields. That's something that migrants do um, all over the world, all over the world. And as you know, there's 250 million undocumented people in the world today. And only around 10 million live in the United States. The rest live in other parts of the world. 
but you were brought to the United States or you came to the United States because of fate, uh, which I don't believe it was just a coincidence. I think there was some sort of destiny. And, and in reading a little bit about you, it said that you were homeless at some time. Was that when you first came to the United States? And did you come by yourself? No, so, um, you know, prior to come to the U.S., I did work in Venezuela as an actor. And, but for sure, I was really interested in, in becoming a storyteller. And Los Angeles at the time, or still now, is the, the, the capital of entertainment, right? Where you can uh, become a writer and a director and a producer and an actor. And so that's what brought me to the U.S. close to about mm, roughly 25 years ago. Um, and of course, it was kind of an awakening for me to come here because when, prior to coming here, I was doing telenovelas in Venezuela. And it, I did uh, three of them. They were very well known. So imagine I was perceived at the time as this known actor and I had a lot of the attention that comes with that popularity and, and um, fan clubs, whatever, you know. It was just like an interesting experience. Then I come here and then, you know, I had to start all over again. Nobody knew me. And it was like such an awakening for me. Um, I remember telling this to uh, my roommate at the time. He said, you know, in Venezuela, I'm like, everybody treats me like, oh, my God, you're so awesome. And you cannot believe it. And here I am. And I'm struggling. I haven't even had a date in three months. And he told me, you don't get it, Jesus. And I said, well, what? Here, you are nobody. And I got to tell you, that hurt at the time, Enrique. That, that hurt. But it was an awakening that you are right. We are not this body. This body is perceived very differently in different places. In Venezuela, I was perceived as the important thing here. I was perceived as the almost like undocumented immigrant. I barely spoke English. I was struggling. Whenever I would go on auditions, I was doing the roles that are stereotypically Latino, meaning the bad guys. And, and so it was just an awakening to the fact that we're not, I'm not my body. I'm not my mind. A mind is something I have, I have this body, but what I am is this spirit. And that allowed me to really recreate myself and come from that difficult uh, experience at the beginning where I had to struggle to get the papers. Thank God I was able to, because honestly, I was able to take advantage of my privilege, for the lack of a better word, and get a green card as what they call person with extraordinary ability in the arts. Because prior to coming here, I had done some work in other countries, and I used that to my advantage. Of course, that's not the reality for most immigrants, as you know. But um, to make the long story short, I ended up making this film that is called Not Turning Back. It's a film where I was writing, directing, producing, acting, doing the whole thing. And actually, I had to put all my money into it and ask other people to give me money. And in the process of doing this film, honestly, I went bankrupt. I mean, the reality is that although the film, I was able to make it, and it's a film that um, has done very well, that had a theatrical opening in the US and in, in, in Spain as well, and has been sold to many countries. Uh, it's a film called Not Turning Back um, that people can still get on Netflix and some places. At the time, right after I made it, I was completely broke. And yes, I was renting, I couldn't pay my rent. Next thing I know, I have to um, ask friends and sleep on couches, you know? And, and that's how it was for me, that experience of homelessness. Um, it did not last very long, thank God, but definitely that is part of an experience that I had. And at the time, what I realized is that I could not depend on this industry 
to, to make a living. I had to do something else. And that's how I came out into becoming an entrepreneur and doing other things. And now I have a real estate business as well uh, as a social entrepreneur. And I can find that balance whereby I can make money doing my business and then I can do the projects that are close to my heart and produce them with my own money if that's needed. And so anyway, here, here I am making films like American Nightmare that are not intended to make money, are not intended to um, be in the marketplace to be bought by anybody, are just intended to be my source of activism. That's how I use my creativity and my talent to do something, uh, like I said, in the spirit of telling a story that can hopefully help others awaken their compassion for, for one another. And uh, yeah, the American Nightmare, I want to talk about that a little bit. But before that, I have some similarities to your story. And one of the things that caught my attention uh, was the telenovela part, that you were a telenovela or a soap opera star. Obviously, you're playing like the good guy in the telenovela because um, my dad passed away six years ago. If he were still alive today, he'd be 100 years old. And when he was getting older, and, and I go out with my mom and my dad, and we go have dinner or something, all of a sudden around 6 o'clock, whenever we were together, he would say he didn't feel well. So I would look at my mom thinking, how come every time we go out at this time, he doesn't feel well? And she would look at me and say, he feels perfectly fine. There's a telenovela that he wants to get home and watch. He loves telenovelas. And I thought, and I said to my mom, my dad watches telenovelas? My dad's always been like a man's man. What's he doing watching telenovelas? <laughs> so my mom said, a lot of Mexican men, when they get older, they watch telenovelas. And I clearly told my mom, I will never be that man. For the last year and a half, I religiously watched three telenovelas every night. La Rosa de Guadalupe. I have to see La Rosa de Guadalupe. <laughs> and the current one that's on right now, uh, Le Dio La Vida or, or something like that, which I watch all of the time. Le, Le Dio La Vida, Le Di La Vida. And then the third one, which happens to have its final, finality today, so I can't wait, Amor Eterno. Amor Eterno is a, is a, is a Turkish telenovela. It's dubbed. So I become a huge telenovela fan. <laughs> and I never thought I would. But the film, I've been involved in, in, in uh, coming out in documentaries and films, and the power of telling a story, the power of telling a story is where it's at. And in American Nightmare, um, you know, I just, somebody, Facebook, I'm new to Facebook too. So somebody sent it to me, I, I watched it, and I go, this is amazing, this is so powerful. So I had to try to get a hold of you miraculously, I was able to send you some sort of a message because I don't know how to send messages on Facebook or Instagram. All I do is email. And then you tell me, oh, yeah, I've been trying to get a hold of you and all this kind of stuff. And I said, oh, I got to get to know Jesus because it was such a powerful film. The, me the, the, uh, the, the, the message is so clear. And the role of everybody, the American mom and her daughter, you as an officer, the other woman officer, uh, the whole story. Is such a powerful story. So tell me, uh, how did that come about, that particular film? Thank you, thank you. Well, first, first of all, tell us what, how, in your words, what the film's about. Yeah, no, just in case, since I know that we're not playing the film in this interview, if anybody wants to watch it so that they have the reference, americannightmarefilm.com, anybody can go now and you can watch it. It's just seven minutes. 
uh, very simple story, and I and I do appreciate your question. You know, um, how did it all come about? Well, <laughs> um, it was uh, close to two years ago now that we were going through this nightmare of the family separations at the border. Uh, it was a policy that was implemented in the April of 2018. And when we were in the midst of this crisis, um, my wife, Susanna, that happens to be an actor, she was watching TV and, and she was really in tears uh, looking at an interview of a mother that had gone through this experience. And I have to tell you, uh, at the time, we didn't have a lot of information. These families were detained. We just didn't know where they were going. It's not that we had all these personal stories, but we knew that this was happening and we found out months after this whole thing had started. And then it's this realization, what's going on with this country? What's happening? How is that possible? And um, she told me, you know, we, we have to do something. We cannot just be artists watching this and not do something. And, and you know, at the time, I thought, well, let's just go to the border. We gotta interview these women. We have to find these families. But of course, as you know, not possibility to do that. You're not gonna get those permits. You're not gonna be able to have that access. Forget about it. And there was something that uh, I found that very telling is, um, um, I found this poll uh, close to two years ago by which it said that the majority of Republicans supported the zero tolerance policy. Now, prior to that, I thought this is a Trump thing and we all know Trump and Trump is capable of this and more. But when I realized that the majority of Republicans did support that policy, then I knew something was off. This is, this is off. The Republican party is a party that supports family values. So the Republican party is a party that by and large is Christian in nature. The Republican party by and large is, is a party that talks about law, the respect of the law. Here we had a policy that was disrespecting our current law that was really not Christian in its essence whatsoever. I definitely did not support um, uh, family values. So what's going on? And then, you know, for me, Enrique was like, my goodness, I think most people don't know what's going on. Like people don't have the first experience of understanding the pain that it means this cruel inhumane policy. So that's how I came about with this thing. And the zero tolerance policy to remind those that perhaps need it, but you know, still in a way it's in place, uh, although not legally, but it's still happening. We know that these family separations are still happening, unfortunately, but what it was, is criminalize people for the so-called misdemeanor of uh, crossing the border without papers, which is a misdemeanor, and use that to detain them, to separate them, to throw these kids in cages. So I thought, really? Imagine if we would use this same zero tolerance policy to any misdemeanor. Imagine that any time that you commit any violation of our law of any nature, this would be what would happen to you. So that's how I came about to this story where I'm, you know, woman that I want people to feel like connected to um, goes and is driving and is eventually driving with her kid in the back and is driving over the speed limit uh, with, with an excess of the speed that could 
be considered a misdemeanor in, in some states and and she's detained by the cops and you know normally in a situation like this as you very well know Enrique well you're speeding and guess what you're gonna get a ticket and you're gonna go to court and when you go to court most likely you're gonna pay for that ticket and most likely that's it well that's not what we're doing with our immigrant brothers and sisters detained at the border uh, first of all we need to clarify seeking asylum is legal so definitely nobody should have to go through that process because they come here legally but even if you supposedly get them after they cross the border illegally even if you consider that there's a misdemeanor is it really humane use that violation to separate them and to detain them and to put it in cages and for us taxpayers to have to pay tons of money sometimes 750 dollars a day for the incarceration of these people in inhumane conditions how could that make sense what made sense of course we all know is you release those families together if you are con concerned you can put a monitoring device in the ankle and then you let them go to court and in court you then the judge judge the situation and if the fate is that their case is not good enough to be uh, accepted in this country then you deport them but don't break families apart don't incarcerate them don't use our tax money to have for-profit jails that are making their lives miserable and they are causing as we speak death to them with the coronavirus as an example so um i felt that this film was giving me the opportunity to give people an, um, th that realization of connecting with that experience and realizing that if in fact uh, we would apply the zero tolerance policy to everyone this would be a nightmare and this nightmare has been so for over 5,000 children that have been detained and separated from their asylum seeking parents already in our country and this is a nightmare uh, that we all need to be aware of because they come here pursuing the American dream and we have turned this American dream into an American nightmare and the American nightmare is not just for them it is for them but it is for us we are Americans what's happening to our country what's happening to our values what's happening to what America stands for I mean right now I think we're a little bit for the lack of a better word ashamed that, that, that we go to the world and the world is looking at us with pity because of what's happening in our country because of our violations of human rights at the border or because we're not able to contain this virus like let's say Europe has done it just in, in recent months so something is off and like I said this film was a way to uh, bring that level of humanity and let people that maybe are are somehow separated from the experience let them have that experience themselves so that they can realize the cruelty of this policy and hopefully with that change some minds and i know that i have changed some minds and of course i know that some others will never be changed but it's my effort genuine effort as a storyteller to awaken our common humanity if you will and you do a, a really great job the way that um, that the film is laid out using the term illegal driver um you know the the woman kind of saying oh you can't be taking my child away um you know the, the the way she has that attitude of white privilege and when you're talking about american uh nightmare i rem i'm reminded i've done these caravans i've done these caravans across the country since 2006 and my fifth the first one was to get people to the streets to march and it was a huge success the spring of 2006 
but the fifth one was called American Dream or American Nightmare. That was the name of the caravan. And we started where we always would start, which is where the wall is, where Friendship Park is. And on that one, we drove through Southern California, Arizona, and then we came back and ended at the Cemetery of Los No Olvidados, which is a cemetery two and a half hours east of San Diego, where there's 500 unidentified migrants buried. And at, at the event that we did there, at the end of that, or the halfway point of that caravan, I had two people with me that I asked to perform. One was an ex-member of Mana, the musical group. So he went out there and he is the ex-keyboardist. So he played a, 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 a musical piece. And the other one is Josefina Lopez, uh, who wrote Real Women Have Curves. Well, as a result of that particular uh, caravan with me, she was my passenger. She wrote a, a, a movie called Detained in the Desert. Detained in the Desert. For all those souls that are in the desert detained, you know, the, the, the wife wants to know that her husband make it, that he abandoned me, is he dead, etc. So it's very, very powerful. And hers was a, a relatively short film, not as short as yours. And then another person that's in the film business did another film. I think I might have sent it to you, and I want to put you in touch with him. His name is Chris Cashman, and he did a film called Undocumented, and it's a three-and-a-half-minute film filmed at my mom's house. What would happen? This is like three months before the election. What would happen if you know who ends up in the White House, never thinking he would, he does, and what the film portrays about ICE raids and separating is exactly what happened. So those stories are so, so powerful, and they really can change people's minds, especially this year, which is going to be the, the most important election in our lifetimes. And you recently sent me something that I, have, I, was, I was cautious because I didn't know if it was, I should open it or not open it. And it's some sort of a video about the children situation. It's very well done. And it shows children being detained. It's, I'm pretty sure you're the one that sent it to me. And it shows children being detained and what's going on and, and, and so forth. And that's the one that I said, did you send this? Because I didn't want to open it. And I opened it and it's basically a campaign to let people know what's going on. Let people know what's really going on. So you can decide you know, whether you're a blue state or a red state, you're a human being. And your great-great-grandchildren are going are gonna to ask you, what did you do? What did you do when children were in cases? What did you do when six children died in, 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 in Border Patrol custody? What did you do when, when asylum seekers were being forced to jump back over the wall? Or they were being tear-gassed? So it's important that we do the right thing, because like you said at the very beginning, and it's something I truly believe in, that love is the answer. Love is how you're going to overcome hate. And love is an action, not just a word. So, uh, Jesus, you know, we're, we're, we're facing this most important election, November 3rd. Uh, now we're, our hands are kind of tied because you and I, you know, we like to go to the schools and give talks and so forth. We can do a little bit of that now on Zoom, but it's not the same thing. So what do you recommend? What do you recommend that we all do? Whether we give talks or not, what, do you what can we all do right now as we have this huge movement that I totally support like you do, which is Black Lives Matter, and I'm doing a lot of unity, black and brown unity, and we have this horrible virus, and uh, thank God there's Dr. Fauci and, and, and medical professionals that could give us advice, 
what should we be doing every day right now? Because right now we have a lot of those, right now there's a lot of those gypsy women knocking on those doors right now with two children and they're saying help. So what can we do? You know, what a wonderful question, Enrique. And I have to tell you, um, I think we have enough despair right now as it is. I think we have enough hate as it is. Um, you know, I think we can all look at Trump and we all can feel emotionally about it and, you know, and people will insult him and people will hate him, but that's, that's just, I feel that that is um, misplaced energy. Uh, first of all, um, talking about the elections, we, you already have Republicans, uh, the Lincoln Project and the non-Trumpers and whatnot, that are organizing themselves with very powerful commercials to deal with Trump as an individual, making sure that people know who he is. We, most of us that are not Republicans, most of us that are not Republicans, we already know. But some Republicans need to know, and they can do that, for the lack of a better word, dirty work. That we know that commercials that are negative work. But I feel as a community, we, we, we need to go beyond that. And it's about turning that despair into hope. And, and really realizing that we do have this unique opportunity in November, where we don't have to wait for the judges, we don't have to wait for the Supreme Court, we don't have to wait for the miracle uh, cure that Trump says is gonna happen and all that. We all can rely on each other as a community and go and vote. Go and vote. I mean, there is no other way right now for us than to make sure we all use our democratic power to go and vote. and not just vote, but obviously do our best to reach out to others so that others go and vote. Uh, that's what we need. We need our grassroots movement to reach out to others and tell them what you have told me, which is the most consequential election of our lifetime. Because it's not about electing the president of the US, it's also about electing the most powerful person in the world right now. Look at what's happening. We have this pandemic. It's a pandemic. It's not just in the US. We're fighting right now between the states. One state does something, the other state does the other thing. Well, it's happening in the whole United States, but it's also happening in the world, okay? Look at all our challenges, the pandemic, migration. You were talking about how many undocumented immigrants are outside of the US. It is a world problem. Climate change, it is a world problem. Or poverty, this situation of extreme poverty that is going to be exacerbated by the pandemic, it is a world problem. We cannot let these countries in Africa now deal with this crisis by themselves. So we need a world leader that can restore that humanity understanding in, in power, not just for the U.S., but for the world. We have that 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 leadership that we had that was based on our moral values and our democracy is gone right now. Our leadership right now is only strengthened by our military might. And this is really sad. This is really sad. So what we need is the restoring of those morals and those values and that democracy for the sake of, of not just the US, but, but the world. And, um, and that means that we all need to go and vote in November. And when we all go and vote, we're not only voting for me, Jesus, or for you, Enrique. We're voting for those that cannot vote, for sure, those that are suffering the consequences of these policies, 
for sure people that are undocumented, but for sure also people around the world that are suffering the consequences of climate change. When we have a denier of climate change in our country, how is that possible? So this is a very consequential uh, election, but we need to focus on the positive view that is not about putting him, listen, in my opinion, Trump right now is irrelevant. He's out of touch with us when it comes to racial issues. He's out of touch with us when it comes to, to the pandemic. He really is becoming irrelevant, okay? He's, he's, you know, he uses 4th of July, would be the perfect occasion to talk about our heroes, which should be our front, uh, you know, workers, like the, the healthcare workers, uh, you know, that are battling this war of the pandemic. Instead, he defends these uh, statues about dead people that were actually traitors. I mean, honestly, he's out of touch. So he's irrelevant. No more to focus on him. Let's focus on what is the alternative. And it is Biden, but beyond Biden, it is the restoring of those American values that we have all been so proud of, that really represent America in the best positive light and that are an example for the world so that we can all unite the world in this common understanding that more important than our nationality, the country of origin, our race, or our beliefs or ethnicity is the fact that we are human beings and that we need to work with one another to solve these social challenges that were happening that are global in nature. We cannot have nationalist leaders deal with global problems. If you look at the pandemic, all five countries that have dealt with it the worst, United States, Russia, Brazil, India, and United Kingdom, all five have incompetent men that are autocratic, okay, that are basically, they think they're arrogant, they think they know better than the scientists, and here we are with all those five countries. On the other hand, look at the five countries that are managing this crisis the best. You can look at New Zealand, you can look at Denmark, you can look at Iceland, you can look at Norway, you can look at Germany. What do they have in common? They are led by compassionate women that were elected democratically and that immediately listened to the scientists and took action because they are competent, they are effective, they are intelligent. And now, guess what? The virus is not a concern for them. They're opening the country safely and they are doing fine. So this is an example of what is coming with this election, but it's also an example of the fact that we need to focus beyond the US. We have to focus on the fact that we are all powerfully connected as human beings and there are enough about this thing about America first. America first, really, for what? I mean, look at it. There has not been no wall, no inhumane policy, no restriction on, on immigration, nothing that has stopped this virus from coming here and, and causing this damage. This is obsolete thinking. This is thinking that is taking us nowhere. And what we need is to restore those American values that have served as the beacon of light for the rest of the world so that we can all come together and unite in those common values and, 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 you know, and really solve these big social challenges that we're facing. Amen. I, uh, I agree with you 100%. Um, it's important that we remember that we're all citizens of the world, that uh, the women leaders are the best leaders, the compassion, the intelligence. Uh, they're the perfect example, the five countries that you mentioned. And, uh, you know, we have a situation where the whole world is watching and each one of us has the power of one. Each one of us can make a big difference. The environmental damage 
You have a teenage girl named Greta that shows the world what we should be doing. Violence against women. You have a teenage woman named Malala that talks about violence against women. They're young women, they're older women, they're showing us the way, and that's why it's important that uh, Biden uh, select his woman running mate, and we cannot allow what happened in 2016 to ever happen again, where you have 64 million people that vote for Hillary, 62 million vote for Trump, and what, what, what was the disaster was 100 million did not vote. We can never let that happen again. I have lots of friends that were Sanders people. I was a Sanders person, but I'm going to vote. I, I voted in 2016, and I'm going to vote in 2020. I'm going to vote blue because we need to make a change. The future of our children depends on it, and it's so important. Jesus, the final question, and something I ask all my guests. So to Jesus Nevot, what is love? Mm. <laughs> Well, we've been talking about love through the whole conversation, but I, I, you know, I'd say that love is, is source, source with capital S. Like love is, is God, universal energy. Love is energy, really. Love is the energy from which everything is created. And love is really our essence, it's our true. I mean, honestly, uh, when our mind is not operating with all these judgments, what is left is love. And that's why, you know, I can go back to that story when I was six years old that I started our conversation. At that time, what I was pressing was love. I didn't have all those thoughts, all those beliefs, all those things blocking my opportunity to connect. This is our natural thing. It's the most natural thing when we don't have all those things going on in our mind separating us that love will connect us. Love is the energy that unites us all and makes us all one. And fear is precisely the energy that separates us and that creates uh, the source of all conflicts and all wars and all polarization. And if you look at it, what Trump does is he divides us using fear. And right now his story is all about making the left, these far left anarchist people that are riots and looting and all that but you know it's kind of go very far because it's not really happening so you know at one point that is gonna okay be gone and we're not gonna but uh love is what builds us love is what brings us together and i say this importantly in this election because like you said we're very polarized we need to energize the vote we need to make sure people go and vote but we also need to reach out to the independents and how we do that is not by making people wrong. It's not by insulting people. It's not by hating Trump. It's not by putting this dark picture. Uh, it's really by reaching out from this place of hope, of possibility, and restoring those American values that are so fundamental to who we are as people. And at the end of the day, the most fundamental value is the value of, of love, the value of living in a place where not only we are free, not only we can pursue happiness, but ultimately we can connect with that source of love that can restore sanity to our lives. So let's say that it's time to make, make America sane again. Let's vote on November 23rd and let's vote for Joe Biden and what he represents for us as individuals in our community, for us as citizens of the United States, and really for all human beings on this planet that need, for sure, better leadership. Absolutely. So, so don't forget, vote November 3rd. 
get out there. And those of us that can't vote, we're not 18, we don't have papers, we know people that can vote. So make sure they get out and vote. Jesus, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for all your work. We're looking forward to working very close together uh, with Gente Unida. We've got several projects that we want to talk about where your expertise will be key. And it's all based on the principles of love. So muchas gracias to you and your family. Stay safe. We're going to put all your contact information where Sarah, uh, she's generous enough to put your links and so forth. So people know how to get a hold of you if they want you to speak at their campus. Right now you could do it through Zoom, the projects you're working on, ideas people might have for projects for you. So muchísimas gracias. I send you my love. And make sure you stay tuned with Gente, with Buen Hombre and Gente Unida every Tuesday. Muchas gracias. And like I always say, amor si se puede. Muchas gracias. Thank you, Enrique. True honor. Thank you. Much love to you. Thank you.